Hotep is a word of peace, you know? So to weaponize a word that means something peaceful or something so beautiful, taking something so beautiful like a flower and like weaponizing it. Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast that gives you news you can trust for the culture. I'm your co-host, Jaren Keith Gaynor, Managing Editor at The Grio. And I'm your co-host, Shauna Pinnock, Social Media Director at The Grio. And this week we're asking, Dear Culture, do we really understand Black Muslims? Woo, child. <laughs> so Shauna, before we get into today's show, which is going to be really good, I have to know what's on your mind. This past uh, Sunday was Mother's Day, as we all know. And, um, you know, Black Twitter had a number of things trending. And one of them was, who is the best mom on television? And no surprise, Claire Huxtable, also known as her real name, Felicia Rashad, um, won that hands down. So here, her name was trending. People are just giving the much due flowers to Miss Rashad. So a woman by the name of Lisa Talmadge uh, tweeted, quote, Claire Hustable was an enabler of the longest and most prolific drug rape predator in U.S. history, Bill Cosby. Everyone on set knew he was a sadistic predator. Everyone. 75 women drugged and raped by Cosby, and he got away with it because of enablers. Now, of course, Black Twitter rightfully dragged her because, you know, you don't come for Claire. But <laughs> that's number one. Number two, um, where I find myself irritated is first and foremost, Claire Huxtable is not her real name. That is a character. Okay. Her name is Felicia Rashad. Put some respect on her name. That's number one. Now, number two, um, I, and, and it's, it's a little challenging for me because I'm not going to lie. Felicia Rashad has disappointed me in the past as it relates to her commentary on Bill Cosby. Um, you know, there's been a time where she, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it basically was akin to like, she ain't believe all them women. And, you know, Mr. Cosby has always been a, the, the consummate from professional with me. Whoop, do whoop, whoop, whoop. Where I give her grace is because I understand that Felicia Rashad, in all honesty, is an elder. Um, and let's be very real. A lot of us, our grandmamas, our aunties, our, our sometimes our mamas have very problematic ideas of certain things. And quite frankly, I'm not, it, it's easy to be like, oh, look at you enabling and, and push the rape culture and da 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 and all this other stuff. It's very easy to say that now because we quote unquote and quote no know better. But let's be very clear. If I were to, you know, say certain things, if, if it was 10 years ago, and if I were to say certain things that I'm saying today to you 10 years ago, you would have the exact same response as Felicia Rashad. Let's not, let's not let, you know, let that, oh, everybody's so super woke thing come into play. Now, that's not, that's not excusing her commentary in the past. I'm just saying I give her a little bit of grace. But at the end of the day, one thing that's not going to happen is some white woman about to sit here and try and hold a black woman accountable for nonsense that black men have done. Trick, go somewhere. Get off Twitter, mind your business, keep Felicia's name out of your mouth. And why are you minding black people's business yet again? Go over there and talk about your bland potato salad and your shallow conversations. You have nothing to do with this conversation over here. Mind your business. But yes, Jaren, what about you? Well, I have to, I mean, I guess there's a congratulations to be said about Miss Portia Williams of Real Housewives of Atlanta, because this week she announced that she is engaged to 
um, the ex-husband of her Real Housewives of Atlanta uh, co-star. She's not a housewife, but she was a friend of the show. And so just to quickly give people what the background, um, Fallon Gubadia, I'm probably ruining their, their name. Uh, she recently divorced her husband, Simon, and announced it just last month, actually. And then right after Mother's Day, Portia Williams put up a picture of her and Simon and announced that they are, they are engaged. And so obviously people have a lot of opinions about this. People think it's really messy. I am one of them. It's, it just doesn't look good. She was literally, Fallon was introduced on the show. as, <laughs> And she walked into this woman's home, this beautiful mansion, because they are very rich. Listen, it's gorgeous. It's, um, it's I, I wish, I can only aspire. Um, and apparently Portia aspired to because she now is going apparently going to have the same lifestyle that her friend on the show once had. But she came into the house and she 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 welcomed Portia and her friends into her home, showed their beautiful home, and Portia went and got her her man, her ex-man. She ex was swimming in her pool. Wait a minute, wait a minute. She was swimming in her pool, eating that woman's good charcuterie, okay? <laughs> the fine china and all. Um, so I I wanted, I don't want to pass too much judgment on the Porsche. She says that when they got together, it was quick, but it was after he divorced or at least filed for divorce from his ex-wife, Fallon, and that her and Fallon are not friends despite Bravo saying that they were friends. And even if they were friends, it sounds like Porsche is willing to uh, sacrifice a friendship for her very rich man. And congratulations, I guess. Listen, messy boots, child. <laughs> messy boots. Um, but what I will say is this. It is not our business. Um, it really isn't. I'm actually kind of annoyed that Portia even felt that she had to tell us, girl, you could have just gone on here with your Nigerian man and gone about your business and enjoyed your, and enjoyed your stuff. You know what I mean? But again, it's the whole idea of everybody has to put this stuff on, on Instagram and Twitter and whoop, 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 but if Fallon's fine with it, if this Nigerian man is fine with it, if Portia's fine with it, if Dennis is fine with it, I don't really care. Do what you want to do. I'll be ready to see how this unfolds. And maybe Fallon will get a peach. Just saying. All I know is I'm here for, well, quite frankly, I've been here for Portia all season. She's been, she's been great. Okay. She's been, that she, she is, she has come up. I'm, I'm here for that. So if all she needs to add to her little repertoire is a nice little wealthy, oh, wealthy Nigerian man, go ahead. Okay. Because Kenya need to be, <laughs> Can you need to mind her, 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 her business and her, and her restaurateur, baby daddy. That's what she need to do. You know what? We, we're not even here for all that. Let's get into the show. <laughs> From Mahershala Ali to Jay Electronica to U.S. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, Black American Muslims helped shape the culture and narrative of Black America. And this week, Muslims all over the world will celebrate the end of Ramadan, a month dedicated to fasting, prayer, reflection, and community. According to a study by the Pew Research Center, Black Muslims make up about one-fifth of all American Muslims, but only about 2% of African Americans identify as Muslim. Because they are a minority within a minority, the Black Muslim community has been a target of discrimination, stereotypes, and common misconceptions. 
both outside and within the community. For many Black Americans, Islam was and is a way of resistance. But somehow, the religion of peace became synonymous with harmful respectability politics, false prophets, and hot takes on social media, and was even conflated with the problematic subsect of the internet nicknamed Hotep Twitter. This week, we want to dig a little deeper into the Black American Muslim experience. And later in this show, we will be joined by two Black Muslims, actor Eric Berryman and media personality DJ Damage, to talk about what it means to be young, Black, and Muslim in today's culture. So let's get into it. I'm really glad we are diving into this conversation about the Black Muslim experience because I think that this is an opportunity for us to bridge some gaps between the Black community and those who are Black Muslim. Because for me, growing up in Brooklyn, I didn't see a lot of Black Muslims growing up. There were some, I, I remember I had maybe one or two classmates who were Muslim. Uh, my mom had a, a childhood friend who came around every now and then. And she was like the first representation for me of a Black Muslim because uh, she wore the full garbs. And I noticed how people will look at her in public, um, in classrooms. I remember this, my classmates who were Muslim got teased often for uh, what they wore, uh, for being different. And I feel like uh, they, the experience of, I can only imagine what the experience is like being a Black, a black Muslim, being a minority within a minority community. And I often think about how in America, Muslims at large are seen as radical. We've seen um, Muslims be targeted because of their faith uh, after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, the rise of the ISIS movement, and even recently with uh, President, former President Donald Trump targeting Muslim countries and the Muslim ban. And many people don't talk about the fact that, oh, I think about three of those countries on that Muslim ban list were African countries. And so when we talk about Muslims in America, we often don't talk about Black Muslims as if they don't exist. And I feel like for many communities, unless you live in like neighborhoods like in Philly, I feel like there's a strong presence of Black Muslims in Philly, but elsewhere around the country, we don't often see them. They're not as visible, but they do exist. And actually a third of Muslims who are uh, in America are actually Black. Um, and I think that there are a lot of misconceptions about who they are, um, what, what, it, what it's like being a Muslim in America. And I wonder, what are some misconceptions or stereotypes that maybe you have seen or heard about Black Muslims? Oh, God. Uh, I'm about to reveal some things. These are, these are from Shauna's ignorant days, okay? I'm a much better person. <laughs> I went to college and I learned some things. Um, for me, the vast majority of Muslims, I as a child, I never really met anyone who was like born into a family of Muslims and that was the religion that they were taught. The vast majority of Muslims that I came across were people who had spent time in prison and all of a sudden found Allah. And I was like, oh, here we go. Like, so if someone told me that they were Muslim, I'm like, you was in Rikers, weren't you? Like, it was, it was like an automatic thing. Um, I mean, growing up in growing up in, in Brooklyn and then later in the Bronx, I mean, the, the 90s and early 2000s was really a uh, ignorant time when I really think about it. So, you know, it was, if someone were to say that they were Muslim, like, oh, you Arab? Like, what's that? Like, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of things that you just don't know. 
Um, I, for at a time, I think even at the top of the show, I had asked you, Jared, like, are Sikhs considered Muslim? And I realized that that is something that I'm still kind of ignorant about, but it's like, oh no, that's a whole other thing. It's a whole, like, it's a whole other religion. It's a whole other subsect of people. Um, I think at least for me throughout the years, I've been very fortunate to know and, um, become friends with a number of Muslims. Shout out to my girl Malika, who was telling me so many things, man. Listen, she had me, I forget. Oh my God. I forget. There's one actor who everyone pronounce like pronounces his name incorrectly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So she, Malika, she educated me. She's like, that man, that man's name is not Yaya. Okay. She's like, no, no, it is Yahya. That's how you say it and say it right. And I was like, okay, Yahya Abdul Mateen the second. Okay. You got to learn <laughs> these words. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's just, it, it's, it's all a matter of like, just trying to educate oneself, um, and really just understand like certain things. Like, I'm going to be honest as a kid and growing up, and seeing like some of my female Muslim classmates that were wearing like hijabs, for instance, I was like, how oppressive must your religion be? Like what, well, you can't even show your hair girl. Like, you know, it, it was, it was a, again, a lot of ignorance and it's not until you are not even forced to, but you are willing to open up your mind to understand like first and foremost, and I know I'm about to have a lot of angry Christians. Christianity is the ghetto, okay? It's the ghetto. And I say this as a Christian, it's the ghetto. And the reason why I say that is because I feel like growing up, um, you know, my family wasn't like overly religious or anything like that. I am actually the person who ended up getting into religion when I was like 15, 16, and then brought my mom on. And now she's like, damn, uh, 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 usher at the church and lay service and all this. Other stuff. She done ran with it. <laughs> uh, for me, it's always been like, when you're grown, when you've grown up in like a, a Christian household or Christian things, whatever, and really just living in the United States of America in general, and Christianity is just pushed so heavy that everything else seems crazy. Everything else seems oppressive. Everything else seems like it's wrong. And it's not until, you know, you see things like, <laughs> like Malcolm X, right? And you're like, all right, Denzel, oh, is this, is this what it's about? But then you're also left with, oh, but it looked like the Muslim community kind of, kind of did, they did, they did Malcolm X dirty, you know, like uh, it's a, it's a lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of uh, little, little things that you have to learn and, and grow and be better for. But um, let, actually, that's a really great transition because I kind of wanted to talk about how, especially Black Muslims have been portrayed in the media. So I think of, <laughs> so one of my first examples uh, would be, again, I'm a huge fan of the show A Different World. And uh, Colonel Taylor's son, Lil Pipsqueak, uh, <laughs> um, his son decided that he was going to be Muslim after one trip. He was supposed to go to like see the monument in Washington or something like that. Ended up in Philly somehow and decided he was going to become Muslim. And he's talking about, yeah, you know, he's like, because there's a there's a three pillars of faith. And, and, and Colonel Taylor was like, what? No, what are you? No, you microwave Muslim. That's not what this is. That's not what it's about. Um, I remember the Muslim brother on Don't Be a Menace, who is over here, you know, spitting a lot of what <clears throat> the Tariqs and Umars and whatever else is of the world, uh, you know, these days like to say, and then turned around and was like moving the black woman so he can go talk to his white queen. 
all right, cool. Uh, <laughs> of course, there's, you know, there's Malcolm X and, and as it was portrayed by Denzel Washington. And then that's where you maybe sort of get a little bit more education as to the Muslim faith and, and really just how, in my opinion, how beautiful it is, you know, how, how, how amazing all of the, uh, all, all of the the religion the beauty of the religion is um and then you look at stuff like law and order and anything that had to do with terrorism anything that had to do with anything past 9 11 if you were muslim you were the enemy and that was it like you beat women you killed women a lot of these stereotypes that we have about black muslims in general i kind of wonder because the thing is, when you're being honest about stereotypes, more times than not, a lot of the stereotypes are kind of rooted in something that actually does happen, but it's just over-exaggerated, right? And then it's assigned to this whole group of people. I low-key want to know who the hell <laughs> started, like, was there just this influx of, of Black Muslims who were just out here dating white women? Was there this influx of Black Muslims who were out here talking about, like, oh, you know, those 5G towers is what's really going to give you that corona. Like, wh where did all of this come from? I'm I'm interested. I'm curious. <laughs> what do you think, G? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's really important to uh, have this conversation because I hate when people use religion or one's faith as mockery. And I think that in mainstream culture, popular culture, we've made it, we've made it so that it's okay to laugh at um, Black Muslims or, or in this demeaning because really it's about the faith. And if you, in the, the faith of Islam, from what my understanding, like most religions, it's about, um, it's about being rooted in humility and it's about your relationship with God. And I really am excited to have our guests join us because it's really important that they, from their perspective, give us their expertise and what it's really like and what is true and what's not true and kind of debunk some of these misconceptions. And so joining us now to help get into the nuances of this conversation are two young black men who both have deep ties to the Muslim faith and say Islam has shaped their worldview. So joining us is Eric Berryman. Eric Berryman is a New York City based actor and theater maker whose show The B-Side, Negro Folklore from Texas State Prisons earned him a 2019 Drama Desk nomination. He was raised in Baltimore as a Sunni Muslim and still practices the religion today. And we're also joined by DJ Damage, a media maven in his own right and co-host of Hollywood Unlock, alongside Jason Lee and our very own Blue Toulousma. And he's also the founder of the legendary media group. Damage was raised in the Nation of Islam, which he says has shaped his unique perspective. Erica Damage, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. This is going to be a fun little conversation, all right? And I apologize in advance if I offend anything. I promise you I'm not I'm not a dick. I don't intend to be. <laughs> I just I have questions. All right. So, we often rep reference Hotep Twitter when someone mentions the likes of Dr. Umar Johnson, Tariq Nasheed, and the rest of those folks who I don't care for. But basically anyone who is woke but problematic. According to the Visibility Project, quote there is a unique creature that one finds in the wilderness of Black Twitter. This specimen can usually be found championing for the rights of Black men while simultaneously throwing Black women, Black trans persons, Black members of the LGBTQ community, or anyone else who is not a Black male under the bus. At first glance, one may think this creature is extremely conscious of intersectional activism and is down to fight the cause for all Black people because they frequently quote Malcolm X and have Maya Angelou as their profile pic on Twitter. Be cautious though, because this being is not a friend or an ally. 
We refer to these people as members of Hotep or Ankh or Ashy Ankh wearing Twitter. The titles deriving from the frequently used pharaohs and queens of Egypt rhetoric thrown around by this group of people. End quote. Ouch. I'm going to let Jaren take it away. <laughs> yeah, ouch is right. So I want to ask you guys first on the top, um, from your perspective, why is it offensive to Muslims, I should say, to refer to people as Hotep on Twitter or elsewhere? Well, I would say for me personally, um, I, I grew up in the nation of Islam. I also, um, I, I came up around a lot of religions, Hebrew, Israelite, all types of things, Nuapian Moors. Hotep is a word of peace, you know? So to weaponize a word that means something peaceful or something so beautiful, it's cringy to me. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's uh, super disrespectful, but you know, the overuse of something that's supposed to be beautiful to mean something disrespectful is kind of just strange for me. It's like when I was growing up, and people will say, oh, assalamu alaikum, and they will mess with the Arabic words. And it's like, assalamu alaikum means peace be unto you. So it's like taking something so beautiful like a flower and like weaponizing it for me. For Islam, there's so much ignorance out there still to this day. And we have the internet, we have all this stuff. You know how many people I meet that don't know very simple things about, about very simple things about Islam. If I tell somebody, you know, I, I also believe in the Archangel Gabriel and Michael and Moses and David and they go what and I go well this you know so to me it's just a lack of um a lack of knowledge but then there's possibility in that because if there's a lack of knowledge that means that knowledge can be sought out and gained so you know what I guess what would be your guys's response to how people kind of conflate the whole idea of like black American Muslims kind of directly being the whole um, you know, homophobic and sexist and, you know, all of these things. And funny enough, kind of speaking to your point, Eric, I think more times than not, it really isn't, from what I've experienced, it, it really isn't people who have, who have grown up and in, like intimately know the Islam, like, or the Muslim faith that are spitting these things. More times than not, it's people who low-key became Muslims because of YouTube. And they're just and they're just spitting straight up nonsense. And I'm like, how long have you been a Muslim? Six months? Shut your mouth. Like you know nothing. You know nothing. Did you read the Quran from front to back, like and back to front? Did you read it? No. So then you know you you know absolutely nothing. Like I guess what what are the the challenges for you guys? Just you know just kind of living your Muslim life and people kind of already have this idea because of. I like to call them just charlatans, you know, who have been the ones who have been pushing out this homophobic, sexist, you know, misogyn misogynistic, misogynoir stuff, um, all, all under the guise of, oh yes, because I'm Muslim and because I know so much and this is why. <laughs> well, here's the thing I'll say. First of all, I don't believe anybody needs religion to be a good person. Mm. You don't need it to be a good person. And if that's why you're doing it, man, you in for a wrong thing because these established religions out here, they were written at a time where things were very, very different. We're, we're talking about how the eighties were a time where things were different. Now we find pictures of people and people and you know, whatever people were saying stuff and we saying it's a different time. Well, just imagine these things came about hundreds of years ago. So there has to come some bit of, you gotta have some looseness when you're looking at these documents and things. So first, you don't have to be a good person. You know, uh, I come from a family of, 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 of multiple uh, religions. You know, my grandmother was Catholic. She married this Muslim man. 
His son, my uncle, is Muslim, practicing Muslim. My mom considers herself a Christian. You know what I mean? Uh, my sister, that's another episode, but she's a Jehovah Witness. We have different fathers, so that's, you know, I'm working on her. No, <laughs> this misogyny, uh, this uh, homophobia, it is in these documents, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It's in it. And you have to come to the realizing that misogyny, homophobia, uh, uh, these things are, that's just, no, that's, no, you know, that's just not the way of life. So you have to, you know, I was reading the Quran, you know, last year during Ramadan, I was reading the Quran and I came to a part uh, and it said, uh, if you and your wife are having a disagreement, uh, continue with disagreement. There are three things in which you the progression of how you need to handle this disagreement. First, uh, you need to talk to each other. You need to talk to her. Mm -hmm. So already it's from a male perspective, not saying you need to talk. It says talk to her, mm -hmm. right? So saying you, the man need to talk to her. Okay. Well, I had a little problem with that. I said, well, why can't we just talk together? So you need to talk to her. If that doesn't work with the disagreement, the next thing is you need to banish her for a time from your marital bed. So you need to basically on some Lysistrata stuff or some Chirac stuff, say no nookie, right? Then <laughs> the final step, if those two things haven't worked and the problem persists and she is still whatever, then the Quran says, hit her. Religions will, 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 religions will allow somebody to say or believe whatever they truly want to believe. Because Christianity allowed people to enslave people in this country, mm -hmm. right? And yet there are millions of people who are Christians that th that know and would never enslave someone. Mm. Yeah, and to quickly quickly piggyback off what he's saying, um, just to speak on the misogyny, even the um, the uh, the part of the Quran he quoted. If you read the Bible, there is many things in there that. If people really took a, a real look at the Bible, which is so many Christians that I meet every day, because when I was younger, I had, I had to get in a lot of religious debates because it was fun to pick on the Muslim kid. <laughs> I was like, well, a part of my religion is I have to read the Bible. Mm -hmm. You don't have to read the Quran. So I know the Bible more than most Christians I will meet, you know, will read the Bible. And I'm like, well, what happened when this person sold their daughter for some goats or this happened? I'm like, you know, misogyny and homophobia was in all of these religions. And that's what people don't want to understand. It's not just in Islam. It was in all of these religions. Mm -hmm. and as a society and a culture, we had to move forward. So it's kind of funny to me sometimes when I hear it's like, oh, you guys are misogynists, you're homophobics. It's like, well, I mean, according to the text, so are Christians. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what do we do as people to move forward? So I do understand that, um, that point of view of Islam, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not just Islam, it's in so many other religions. If you read their texts, you'll see similar, uh, you know, verbiage. Tell me from your vantage point as a black Muslim, what does it mean to be a black Muslim? And what was it like growing up as a black Muslim? Mm. I mean, I can take it. Um, to me, me and Muslim means one that submits to Allah's will. So how I move through life is I, I tried to move through life without being, what is the word? I never try to have bad intentions. That's, that's the basis of my personal and how I relate to my religion. If everything I do is in good faith, even if I make a mistake, I feel good one with myself. But growing up as a black Muslim, it was, um, it was interesting because in Philadelphia, that's where I grew up at, um, a lot of people weren't necessarily Muslims, but they were a part of the Muslim culture. There's so many of my friends that were Christian that didn't eat pork. There were so many people that weren't Muslim, but had Islamic names, you know, 
all all my friends honestly have nine you know traditional name all islamic names but they will make fun of me for being muslim i'm like but you have a muslim name so it showed how strong the culture was in my city regardless if people made fun of it or not and honestly i never really felt too bad about it because as a kid you get made fun of if you're tall short fat skinny mine just happened to be religion in my name so um it wasn't too bad but it, i honestly i will say personally i went to all islamic schools i felt like it gave me great structure and great discipline and now I look at these years of my life, now that I'm 30, you know how around this age, we start having this reflection moment. I'm like, man, I'm so glad I, I was brought up that way because I'm punctual, I'm respectful. I can listen without catching certain kind of attitudes average people catch. I'm not all into my feelings. And these are things I learned through practicing submission through Islam. So I honestly really cherish how I came up and I cherish having that Islamic structure. You know, I, I came to, I came, I started practicing Islam, like fully deciding to practice it when I went to college. It's been around in my family, you know, my grandfather, my, my mother's brother, my uncle, but in my mother's interior household, that was not a thing at all. It wasn't shunned upon, but it was not, she didn't really have time to worry about religion because she was working two and three jobs. But uh, for me, I came, you know, to it all through questions, asking questions about life, asking questions about, I turned out I had a similar question that my grandfather had when he had converted, you know, back in the, the 50s and 60s. And the, one of the questions was, why are there all these books? Why are all these different books out there? Mm -hmm. And then you get to this book, you get to the Quran, and it's talking about these other books. Um, I will say that, you know, I feel I identify uh, myself, if, if I have to identify with anything, is a, a, a Muslim currently that is Black American versus being a Black Muslim um, because I'm not a five percenter, I'm not a, I'm not a member of the Nation of Islam. And sometimes I think in America when they say Black Muslim, they identify with a certain sects of things. So to be Sunni, um, I'm a little bit of an anomaly to some people. And also, you know, because I don't, you know, wear a hijab or wear any garb, most people have no idea I'm Muslim until Ramadan. And then even then, it'd be like midway through Ramadan, they'd be like, so we, we about to go out and eat. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm good. And I, I said, well, I, I'll meet you maybe after, maybe around eight or something, I eat. And they said, oh, what you, you're not eating? And I said, oh, well, you, and then they go, you what? People that have known me for years, you know? And it's just, it's, because to me, it's a very individual thing. Yeah, and, I, and not to make this go on too longer, because I did grow up uh, and went to Islamic school since I can remember. Um, I feel like when, when we were coming up, women sat on one side, the guys sat on one side. And to me, it never felt like sexism. It felt like the men hold the men accountable and the women hold the women accountable. When, and you know, this might be controversial. If, if a brother of mine did something incorrect and we were around them, we will all get disciplined because how did you let somebody do that? That was sitting next to you, you know, or if anybody in the streets disrespected any one of the sisters, all of the men had to account for that. And it, what it taught me was community, which I feel like all Black people need and all Black men strive from, community and discipline and structure. And I never looked at some of the things that were happening as, oh, you know, she's less than because she sat over there or I sit over here. It was more of the women are teaching the women and the men are teaching the men. And I have more respect. For, I have more respect for women the way I came up because of they were always covered. I got to get to know the beauty of their mind instead of the beauty of their body because 
Let me tell you something. As men, we're looking at that body. That's what we're looking at. I'm, I'm trying to see if you're shapey. What, what does he look like? But when growing up in Islam, it made me, it, it geared my mind to understanding people's mind and perspectives and what they speak about more than what they look like. So that's some benefits I took from the upbringing. Which is exactly why Allah said, men, have the women pray behind you. Mm. Because you're gonna be focused, you, you can be focusing on their behinds while you're supposed to be focusing <laughs> on me. Now, I, that's also going to be controversial. You know, people say, well, why don't you have self-control? And it's like, well, I can't, you know, this chemistry, these testosterones up in here. You know what I mean? So kind of touching on that, <laughs> okay, go ahead. nosy now. Dating as a Muslim, right? I have questions. A really good friend of mine, her boyfriend is Muslim. And we're, you know, about to like pour up some drinks and have some fruit and some uh, artichoke hearts. And I was like, hey, girl. And she's like, no, I'm good. I, I just have water. And I was like, what? I said, oh, you, you're not drinking again? I said, are you on? Like, I was like, you, you, you then gave up the alcohol again. She's like, no, it's for Ramadan. I said, when did you become Muslim? When did this happen? And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, I'm not. She's like, but my boyfriend is. So I'm just kind of doing this like in, in support of him. So which I went, it is this required? Like I, I was very, <laughs> I was very I was like, is this required or are you just being like a good, like down ass chick, like <laughs> like girlfriend? What's going on there? So that's my question to the two of you. Um, in terms of dating, like how does that work? Do you date women who are not Muslim? How do, you know what's the mm, what's going on there? Would you marry someone who is not Muslim, et cetera? I don't need, you know, need that person to me to be Muslim for me. There's some older friends of mine, some of my grandfather's friends that uh, every time if I tell them, I said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm seeing somebody. He said, oh, okay. Is she Muslim? Ak? And I said, well, not really, but you know, the potential is there. It's always there. I'm, you know, I'm BSing, you know, because um, <laughs> that's not necessarily important. Like I said, for me, it's a very individual thing. Having religion, not having religion to me, you know, is, 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 is not, is not a thing, you know? And I would say as far as like the, I think it's wonderful that your friend was supporting her boyfriend to, 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 to fast a little bit, you know? So for me, it's like the people that are in my community are not necessarily uh, Muslim or Muslim women, but um, would, you know, am not opposed to it you know, at all. And uh, I think that um, if you were strong in what and what your faith is and what you know that gets you through life, amazing. And I say whatever she has to be strong and whatever to get her through life to meet me the same way I'm trying to meet her, well, I will appreciate whatever helps her get there to meet me the same way I'm trying to meet her. Yeah, I, and I'm the same way. Honestly, um, all I need from my partner or potential partner is respect my religion and I'll respect yours. Because people will ask, what? Well, oh, well, if you if you date somebody as a Christian, would you go to church if they ask me to? Because what does it hurt me? Why, why does that hurt me respecting my partner's religion? Because how I came up with my religion, I had to read the Bible. I can find a lot of great words that come from a preacher in the church. Doesn't mean it's my religion, but what, what is the problem with listening to somebody else's words that's speaking positivity? As long as it's speaking something positive to the community that I can take from, absolutely, I would go. And just respect mine. So I would never require somebody to fast on Ramadan with me. But if they wanted to do that in solidarity to show love and support, thank you. All right. So I'm going to we're going to touch, touch real briefly on something that's a little bit touchy. But uh, I kind of brought it up a little earlier at the start of the show um, where 
really the whole idea of like Muslim and, and Islam religion, all of these things weren't really at the top of mind for me until 9-11 happened. Um, and I mean, we that's when we're just gonna say a thing, a thing, sorry sponsors, but you know, this is a black ass show. Uh, that was when Muslim was the new nigga, right? So it was 9-11 happened, Muslims became public enemy number one. How did that affect like you guys specifically and like, I guess the, if you can speak to it, like the black Muslim community as at large. It, it affected me in a major way. Um, at the time I was going to Muhammad's Islamic Academy, salute to Jay Electronica because he worked there as an after school program teacher. <laughs> so um, um, I remember exactly where I was at, what time it was when the second plane hit the towers. Mm -hmm. And I remember them saying, we have to evacuate this school. And at this time was past the school bus schedule time. So all the parents had to leave their jobs and pick us up. Mm -hmm. um, we weren't able to return to the school for another week. And when we did, they tried to burn our school down. Mm -hmm. They broke in through the windows. They stole random things like chairs and stuff. And it was really hurtful. You know, they was writing stuff on the walls and it was really hurtful because if anybody really knows about what the nation of Islam strives to do in a real way, we take care of the community. You know, we cleaned up the community. We had a kitchen on the side of our school that fed the homeless, fed people that didn't have. And it was so funny that you seen something on the news that clearly wasn't us, people you see every day, and you still thought, and I can't say it was everybody. Who knows who did? It could have been two people, but it just hurt me so much to my core where something on the media can make you turn your back on people that are active in the community every day, showing love, showing respect, cleaning up, feeding people. And it really, it really hurt me. I'm not going to lie. That, that stuff really hurt me. And the jokes that continued after 9-11 was really, I thought, just insensitive and, and silly because it's like, you're talking about supposed terrorists coming from overseas where I grew up with you. Mm -hmm. How are you talking to me like that? I grew up with you, man. Like, I'm from right here. Mm -hmm. So for me, it really had um, a strong effect. 9-11 um, is a, a day I can never forget, man. Like, you literally almost burned down my school. So I, w I wasn't rocking with it. Uh, another thing that people continue to not know about is how the is is how uh, uh, the nation got so many folks, black folks, off of drugs. They don't get enough credit for what they did, especially in the fifties and sixties, getting our people off drugs. Figuring out now is now is a known thing that these people are sick, that these people are not criminals, the people that are that are addicts. The nation knew that, and the nation was not only getting them to, you know, in withdrawal and getting them away from the drugs. They knew that it was in them that they had to talk with the psyche and the mind that there was something that they had to work through about about their about their own selves. And the government really could have worked with the nation to really understand the, you know, how they were getting all these people off drugs like this, and people were not turning back in numbers. You know what I mean? And and I think to this day, people still don't understand and give the nation credit for doing that in map you know to you know to help our people you know and i want to just piggyback real quick on what you said because that's so deep um they, he's known as jay electronica i know him as brother timothy um when i was about nine years old he said that he said my mom is a devout christian and when people asked her about you know islam and why your son's in islam she said all i know is it got my baby off drugs mm. and for that alone i'm going to respect his decisions with what he does with his religion that alone him following that faith got him off drugs. So she said she's a devout Christian, but she never really spoke on his religion because of that. So that's crazy you brought that up. It's just full circle moment right there. And final question to you guys, because of your professional background, I wonder what is it like working in the entertainment industry 
as a black person who is Muslim, are there challenges? Does it have any impact? I wouldn't say there's many challenges. I, I always get a positive impact because just how I came up, I was so thankful. And I'm telling you, this is stuff I'm learning in recent years that I knew who I was. I knew myself. I grew up in my school. We learned black history from front to back. So when I came out here to LA and started following my dreams in Hollywood, I wasn't easily you know, pulled in different directions or easily curious about certain things because I had a sense of self. And that's so important, especially I came out here when I was like 23. And if I didn't have that foundation, who I would have probably had three baby mamas. You know, I probably been doing all kinds of drugs in the Hollywood Hills, but I always had this sense of self where I was like, that's not for me. And I'm okay with that. And if people try to clown me, it's like, cool, because I know who I am and I'm kind of content with it. And I'm fine with that. And a lot of people don't get that until later in life. So I will say it, it somewhat helped me in my path in this entertainment game. You know, be, be, being Muslim in entertainment is definitely, um, it's, it's adding to my drive to continue to get to new heights and new, and new arenas. If I get higher and higher, and then people find out that I am Muslim, then maybe this is for the good of, of the Umrah, for, 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 the, for the good of the community. You know, that they see, you know, that even people that don't, you know, I think there are people that still don't even realize that most deaf uh, Yasin Bey begins every album, Bismillah Rahman Rahim, that he begins it with a blessing. Um, so for me, continuing to reach platforms and get and 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 get recognition, and then for people to find that that this is what I'm involved with and this is what I believe in, that maybe it will help change perceptions in a kind of like a, a subversive way. That I don't have to get out there and, and proselytize or preach about it, but it's just me living life and then people finding and being like, wait a minute, so maybe I maybe I got this thing wrong or maybe I need to read a little something else or maybe I need to ask a, a question now um, because I didn't expect this person who I like his work, I've seen him on this or whatever, whatever, I'm finding out that this is how he identifies. So for, so for me, it's a, it's a part of my driving force. Oh my goodness. This was such a really dope conversation, you guys. I, I thank you. Um, I think I speak for myself and Jaren, like this has been so enlightening. Y'all smart as hell. Y'all, <laughs> uh, for our listeners, if you, you know, we, I'm always trying to tell y'all go, go on the YouTube channel, go on grill, uh, the grill web, the grill app, excuse me, check this out. We, these are two, some, these are two handsome, fine young black men. Okay. Now Eric is spoken for, but you know, do some things. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying you want some eye candy check us out on YouTube. So <laughs> thank you again, fellas. It is so, uh, so very appreciated. Um, and thank you for your candor. Thank you. Thank you. We want to remind our listeners to support your local Black businesses and donate to your local organizations and religious institutions. The business that we will highlight this week is Supreme Oasis Bakery and Deli, aka So Bad. Originally founded in Baltimore by home of the world-famous Supreme Bean Pie, So Bad was established by the Caliph of Islam, Emmanuel Abdullah Muhammad, along with the Muslim believers of Muhammad's Temple of Islam Number no. 1. The menu eventually grew to include homemade desserts and signature foods, but sadly, after 30 years, they closed its doors only to reopen in Philadelphia by COO Nguyen Emmanuel. Visit their website at www.sobadphilly.com. That's S-O-B-A-D-P-H-I-L-L-Y.com. 
for the full menu or dine in at 4401 Lancaster Avenue in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you for listening to Dear Culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast and share it with everyone you know. And please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments. We love those to podcasts at thegrio.com. The Dear Culture podcast is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Blue Salusma and co-produced by Taji Senior, Brenda Alexander, and Antonio Thompson. See you next week.